Christ the King is who we continue to worship, to expect, to hold on to. For the last three weeks, I've been offering examples of how Advent can be um, described in my home, my family. So I think that for many parents, many of us perhaps during this season, there's a lot of online shopping. So I don't know about you, but um, now that we have the ability to receive the notifications of when the shipment is coming, that we can actually track the, um, when we're going to get it. So that is such a great communication. But here's the thing, that kind of tracking makes me more impatient because I'm just waiting to see the check mark move on to the next step, yes? So now, like, tell me exactly when it's going to come. So it gives us that impatience or that sense of anxiety, or at least for me. So here's the confession. The closer it gets to the date, if I'm in the church office and I know that the notification is telling me that it's going to show up at the doorstep of my house any moment by 9 p.m., I am texting David for him to check the door right before 9 p.m. or throughout the day. And here's a visual of a little bit of a text. This is an actual text that took place, an uh, exchange between he and I, November 23rd, 2.35. Forgive the Spanglish, but this is how we communicate. So have you checked? And at first he says, no, but I will check very soon. That's the problem. He said he was going to check very soon. So if he's going to say, I'll check in a minute, I'm going to follow up in a minute to see if he went to. And at some point he says, I can't do it right now. I'm busy doing something in the computer. To which I sent that GIF of a person waiting at the doorstep. And then we go back and forth. That's the story of the Lopez family during the advent season. Advent 2020 for this church, first church family, I would say is like waiting expectantly for this initiative to finally take place and have this live streaming. Once we went out of the building back in the spring, we realized we needed this. And we have been working diligently for this to take place. But as you can imagine, with many projects and permits and meetings and process, there are setbacks and there's uh, methods and uh, steps to, to go through, right? We had, um, at one point, we hoped that October would be the day. But here we are, and today marks an incredible milestone. I want you to know that because, after all, we are United Methodists, we are so big on method and steps. Yes, yes. I also want you to know that we, so much of what we do, it's really a reflection of collaborative leadership. Something like this first has to go through the committee that we call uh, the trustees, right? So that's the facilities, the operations, the church-wide. So then we discern, in this particular case, the initiative was brought by someone who came in and gave the proposal with much, much, much detail. So then we discern it, we crunch it. Then the really fun part, we go to the finance team. They're so fun. They're just great, great people. 
So then we're crunching numbers, how we're gonna make that happen. After getting to that group, then, I know, one more step, I'm gonna get to step 39 and then through 442. And then we get to the council, right, which is the committee, the team that represents the whole church. And that is where basically the blessing of what is going to be a church-wide advancement. So now that all those other committees have done the legwork, the council says, okay, this is ready to go. And then we get into the implementation process, yes? So for that, I want to give thanks for all of those persons, those teams, those committees who have spent time and wisdom and discernment. For the implementation, I need to give thanks to God for Scott Schroeder, who's here with us. So he's the driver of this piece, and then he also brought in Chris Linderman, our youth pastor, Ben Hare, our communication spe specialist, and the people that they work with. They've been the drivers hours and hours here in the weekends, testing during the week. It's been so much work. Thank you all of those who have mentioned and the teams with them. And please know that we are very grateful to God for the generosity of persons who gave above and beyond their ties to fully fund this particular project. And for those persons, we are so grateful for the confidence, for the trust, for the understanding that this was critical for the advancement of our church. Amen. That's what it's all about. It's a team effort. Or in biblical view, it's the body of Christ at work. And all good things may take a little while, and we are waiting expectantly, but they come. And that's what Advent is all about. It's about waiting expectantly for something greater, something certain, and something everlasting. And I keep repeating that. And alongside the understanding of Advent, that you and I cannot actually pinpoint in the Bible that term, but it's actually truthfully a lesson that you can see here. You can compare that to the season of Lent. And Lent is the 40 days that we remember when Jesus goes into the wilderness to prepare himself before he goes to his public ministry on earth. Those 40 days he prayed, he fasted, he faced the devil, he was tempted, he conquered, which is very telling about the power of the will and the need of obedience. So he conquered that, and he was filled by the Holy Spirit. He was prepared for the ministry. So in other words, Advent, or in this case, Lent for just a moment, I'm going to describe it this way. It's an invitation for you. It's an invitation for all of us to step in and face the wilderness and go into that and experience the journey of what it's like to wait after a death in Jesus Christ, there is resurrection. Amen. That's 40 days we remember for Lent. 
very similarly and as a way for us Christians to remember and bring emphasis throughout the year, Advent is four weeks prior to Christmas. And what is the point of this time or this season? It's to prepare celebrating the birth of Jesus, to worship that the Savior has come, to know that as we face the darkness of the night, we can look up and see and believe that there's a star. But there's a true, true star. There's a true light of the world that will come into the darkness of your life and of this time and of the world and will never be extinguished by that darkness. Amen? That's the reason why we're celebrating. The light of the world. So Advent is about inviting you inviting us should you have to walk in the darkness of pain of loss of suffering of something yet to be fulfilled you walk into that darkness and you know and have that joy and have that hope that Christ has come that Christ is near and Christ is yet to fulfill more and we are to expect that can I get an amen for that so today, I want to explore with you through the lens of a specific person who prepared himself, prepared the way of the Lord. And that is through the lens of the life of John the Baptist. So before I get to the New Testament of the Gospel of John, I want to point out a verse in the Old Testament so that you see the continuity of what was said hundreds and hundreds of years prior to the coming of John the Baptist. So when you read Malachi chapter, excuse me, let me read Isaiah first and then I'll get to Malachi. When you read the prophet Isaiah 40 verses 3 to 5, prophet Isaiah says, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. I want to point out something about the desert. A desert is a terrain for those in exile, particularly when you read it through the biblical standpoint. You think of a desert, someone had to be on the go escaping, someone cannot be seen or a group of people a people or persons are trying to get out of something and they are on their way so they have to face the desert the desert is never the first option for anyone correct it is proven that someone can survive the desert but if you are to live there you are basically at its best surviving the desert is not a place where you're going to dream about growing a family. The desert is not a comfortable place. In fact, the desert is a place we avoid. Look at what a drought looks like. Do you see life there? Do you see accommodations there? There's no accommodations in the drought. And here's the question. Isaiah talked about how in that desert, in that kind of drought, there can be a highway, 
There can be access, in other words. And you know who can make that possible? Who goes all the way out there to get someone out of that drought? Who? The Lord Jesus Christ will go all the way out there to bring back to himself. Amen. That's how we prepare the way. Wilderness, in its simplest definition, is a place or a region that is not to be cultivated, that is not to, it's not hospitable, and you can't live there. So the days are coming for when you are in a drought. The days are coming for the good news in tough times. So John the Baptist, he is considered that forerunner, someone who came out of the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. And I want to read with you a portion of John chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 1, and then I'm going to skip verses 6 through 9. And then I'll skip again through verses 19 through 27. And it reads like this. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Verse 19, this is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John confessed and did not deny. He confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, so what then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. So what then? Are you the prophet? Prophet Isaiah, perhaps? He answered, no. Then they said to him, then who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. Do you see the words? They're the same, pretty much, from hundreds of years prior, prophet Isaiah. As the prophet Isaiah said, verse 27, the one who's coming after me, I am not worthy to untie the strap of his sandal. The word of God for the people of God, you may say, thanks be to God. Based on John's appearance and his actions, it was a compliment for him to hear or to be thought that he was Elijah. You have to know a little bit about who this Elijah was. So Malachi, hundreds of years before the Gospels, we can read of how the major and minor prophets like Malachi said, chapter 3, verse 1, See, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, notice this word, will suddenly, suddenly come to his temple. Indeed, there's a certainty, indeed he is coming. Suddenly. It took hundreds of years for Jesus to come. How is that sudden? 
In the Jewish tradition at that time, it was believed that Elijah was going to come back before the Messiah came or arrived. That Elijah would return to the world to prepare for the arrival of the Lord. Elijah was an ancient prophet of God. And you can read of his story when you go back further back to 2nd and 1st and 2nd Kings. So his story starts in 1st Kings chapter uh, 17. And the name Elijah is introduced. The Lord speaks to him and calls him to declare. He is to prophesy about trouble, consequential trouble. This prophet talks about the need to repentance. And guess what? He talks about a drought. The prophet talks about a famine and drought and trouble is coming. And if you read the entire book of 1 Kings, then it gets you to 2 Kings. And he has to go through a lot. Many people listened to him and many did not. But just so you know, by the time we get to 2 Kings chapter 1 or chapter 2, you will read how Elijah is walking with his now apprentice, Elisha, and ascends into heaven. The biblical narrative talks about a chariot of horses and fire and comes and takes him into heaven. And Elijah is believed that he did not die. There's no tomb for this man. That's the big deal of being complimented. That's the big deal of being thought of, you must be Elijah. You're the one that we've been waiting for. But it was not. Hundreds of years later, the Gospels, and now John the Baptist says the same thing. Prepare the way of the Lord, for Christ is coming. Do you ever feel like God takes a really long time to show up in your midst? Anybody? God takes sometimes, many times, and some of us actually feel most of the time, God takes too long to make things right. Sometimes it feels like God got it wrong. That this injustice that we're facing, that all that is piling and piling, where is God in all of this? If you think about the day-to-day, -day, even in the simplicity of how we do uh, groceries in the supermarket, seems very twisted to me. Let me make my point. How is it that the most organic produce and vegetable and fruit right off the ground with no chemicals or right off the tree is the most expensive one? But the, but the produce and the, and the food that has to actually go through a factory and there's electricity to be paid, there's human resources, there's the assembly line, there's all the chemicals involved to process the food, that's the cheap one. Does that make sense? So much in this world is twisted and it's wrong. And where is God? God is all powerful and good. Except, and then we see all the things that happen, and the pain, and there's no intellectual rationalization that will seem enough for your drought when your heart breaks and it hits home. We get it. Elijah lived through it. John the Baptist lived through it. So John the Baptist speaks of that. And he says, I am not the Savior. 
I'm not going to fix everything or anything actually for you. But I'm going to point to the one who can. And whatever I can do with whatever I have, I am going to offer it. And John the Baptist said, I am just a what? What did he say? I'm just a voice. Out of the where? Of the wilderness. Part of the problem. Facing the problems. So John is an influencer of the time. So we have other influencers of the time, the Levites and the priest, and they are going to check him out because they're noticing what is the big deal about this guy. So as we just read, they go to him and they ask him, who are you? And John first tells them who he's not. I'm not the Messiah. I'm just a voice. There's something important here. He's not denying like we have seen other people deny Jesus. In fact, he's exalting Jesus and putting himself in the right position. Humility. And yet this is a man who's baptizing, whose people are coming to him, multitudes, to be baptized, to be forgiven. And he considers himself low. He can't even untie the straps of the sandals, which, by the way, is making a point. Back in those days, that was an actual function of the slave of a master. So notice how he doesn't take, uh, take himself so seriously, but he doesn't sway his faith in Jesus Christ. So he is this incredible public figure but knows that the great one is yet to come. Which brings me to the next point. John had limitations. He wasn't the fixer-upper. He was just a voice. John had limitations. Do you have limitations? Do we all have limitations? The fact is, every single one of us have limitations. And also, on top of that, where there is so much trouble and limitations, it can lead to despair. And it can get us to a point of major discouragement and debilitate your faith. And we may find ourselves in a spiritual desert, in a spiritual drought, all the way far out there. And who is going to come and draw you back to the center of his heart and bring you hope and give you peace and give you joy and give you love? Who is the light of your life? One day, I don't know when, I don't know when all of the pain is going to disappear. We are to wait for that expectantly. So the question, a daily decision for you and for me to take every single day, will you accept, will you embrace God's grace and believe that God's power and God's presence is always with us and is greater and it will come and it's everlasting and everything under the sun will not prevail but the word of God will. But sometimes as Christians 
although we have something to prepare for, and we do have someone to hold on to, it just feels so hard. And we don't hold on to it. Maybe the limitations feel so much greater, and you notice that you only have a voice, and you don't use it. Brothers and sisters, we have salvation near us. God is here for you. But sometimes we can't see that. You know why? Because we rather be the persons that have God untie our sandals. We rather have the faith all fired up as long as God is answering and doing according to our will. That's not preparing the way of the Lord. John was asked, what do you say about yourself? I'm going to ask you, what would you say about yourself as a Christian and follower of Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you, what do you say about yourself? How can you answer that question, whether it's a Levite or a chief priest who came to you, whatever that means today, or even God nudging in your spirit and your soul, what do you say about yourself? How do you describe yourself? Where are you in that pilgrimage called you, calling yourself a follower of Jesus Christ? What message are you showing and expressing? Long ago when my oldest daughter was five or six years old in kindergarten, she disclosed to her teacher something that I had done the week prior. And she told her teacher that a week ago I had gone to jail for the weekend. Most days, Monday through Thursday, David picked up and continues to be the one picking up the girls. Friday from school. Friday is my day that I try to take off from the church office because I like to be the fun parent and pick them up without having to focus on homework. So Friday is my day. So by the time the teacher was told of that, and by the time the next Friday came, I went into carpool, and her teacher was really happy to see me. She was really glad to see me, and she tilted her head. I'm just so happy that you're here, out here. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm always here on Fridays, and anytime you need to call me. And then I realized that she was basically trying to say, you know, Isabel told me, so I'm here for your family. And then she told me what Asa had said. And I was able to explain, at least in my experience, oh, well, the thing is, I'm part of a prison ministry. So we give the Walk to Emmaus weekend retreat, but in the correctional facilities. So I was actually there doing ministry. Oh, OK. <laughs> Sometimes we say the wrong thing. Sometimes we give the wrong message. <clears throat> we say it incorrectly. 
Sometimes we say what we shouldn't say. And sometimes we don't say what we should say or do. Sometimes we should be more courageous and more humble in how we show our faith and our commitment to our Savior, the master ruler of it all. Sometimes we're hesitant and we are embarrassed. Sometimes our faith is grounded in all the things we can see. But God is not constrained by our limitations. Actually, God transforms deserts into highways. We have to prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. It's so interesting that I share that um, wrong message of, of, of my daughter. And I just have to share with you that one of the most transformational moments that I will cherish forever was when I was doing prison ministry. The way that we were preaching, I got to tell you, prison, jails are one of the ugliest places in the world. It's an ugly place. I can't describe it. If you haven't been there, whether it's to visit or it's, it's ugly. It's ugly. And, and the way we were, we were preaching and we were singing and, and you are good all the time and all the time you are good. And we were singing, my chains are gone. I've been set free. And then they go back to their cell. I mean, we had church in the most unbelievable way. I was absolutely transformed when we were able to baptize a person who was going to be there for many years to come. And actually for life sentences. Can you imagine what it's like to preach to someone and say, you may be confined for the rest of your life. You won't see paradise in the sense of the outdoors, but your soul is set free. Can you imagine what kind of faith and what kind of transformation? Now that's a drought, isn't it? That's a drought. So if they can experience that because God can go all the way back there, how could you and I not believe that God is doing some great things today right now with you? God loves you, and Christ has come. Are you someone who prepares the way of the Lord? Are you someone who is living through the wilderness? Are you someone who, who announces that the, me, the meaning of Christmas is Christ the King? Are you a parent that instills daily to your children that Santa is coming, the gifts are awesome, but Jesus is the reason? Are we someone like John the Baptist? With whatever we can, we will serve the Lord. And as I begin to come to a close, I will also ask you, what limitations are you having? What discouragement? Where are you in the despair and disheartened, perhaps, what limitations are you facing and continue to face? And perhaps those very limitations are the tools and are the ways that God can do something amazing. Do you believe that something good and new can come out of a drought? Yes, in the name of Jesus Christ. Are you a witness to the justice and grace of God to those around you? What do you say about yourself? Can you bear witness? Will you claim it? 
not deny it. Will you humble yourself and then exalt God? What do you say about yourself? And for all the limitations that we may be going through, do you believe that God can meet you right there and transform that drought into a fountain of new life and a process called abundant, gracious life. Let us pray. We come before you. We come before you just as we are. We come before you maybe at the top of the mountain or maybe as we walk through a valley. We are grateful. We take a moment and express our deep, genuine gratitude. Because you, God, you come everywhere, wherever we are. And you invite us into your fold. So this morning, Holy Spirit, you're giving us the opportunity to open our hearts, soften the heart, open the mind, and receive the replenishment, the transformation, the forgiveness, the refuge that we need, the cleansing that we need, whatever it may be, pray for just a moment and give your current, your past drought or what is yet to come. Commit to prepare your soul to always hold on and follow Jesus Christ. May that be your prayer.